Um, welcome to Christ Community Church. I uh, greet you in the name of my Savior. I'm glad you're here today. I'm going to let all the, the masses flee or escape. Uh, Bethany, thank you and your sister and Matt and Zach and Justin. Uh, I don't know where everybody is, but anyway, where everybody is, thank y'all. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it very much. Again, I'm really happy that you're here today with us. Um, I wanted to talk to you today, sort of I was inspired by Valentine's this weekend, uh, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, relationships. Friday night, hello August, hey Brandon. <laughs> um, Brandon, you need to take notes on this, what I'm saying, okay? There'll be a test at the end. Uh, Friday night, Cheryl Lee and I celebrated Valentine's Day. We took a long walk, and uh, we wound up at Chow Bella and had dinner, and it was delicious and wonderful, and um, it was a gift. I mean, I took it, I took it as a, a very specific gift from the Lord in my life, that I got to, to do that with my wife Friday night. And um, I was grateful. And I was thinking about uh, Ivy and Shelby uh, while we were sitting there, and this being their very first Valentine's Day as a married couple. And uh, <laughs> just how special uh, I hope that was for them. I've not talked to them, but I trusted it was a special Valentine's Day. I can remember my first one uh, with my wife, our first year of marriage. We were up in Lynchburg, Virginia, finishing school. And uh, I had like, what, two months left or three months of school. I was so ready to get out of, out of school. But anyway, um, anyway, I just was thinking about them. And then I started thinking about their wedding uh, at Kim and Jerry's house this past summer. And uh, I... You know, if you were there at that wedding, uh, in their little, well, nothing's little there, but in their lobby, or whatever you call that, that, that entry hall area, um, uh, I was on the steps, and they were sort of at the bottom of the steps, and uh, I can remember just challenging them that people that dwell long and dwell well with God. They learn to dwell long and dwell well with each other. I believe with all of my heart that there is a, there is, or at least by God's design, should be a direct correlation between my relationship with my Savior, it's all, and my relationship with my wife, and every other relationship for that matter. It's all interconnected. You can't separate it and dissect it like that, but I'm, you know, it's Valentine's weekend, so I just thought I'd talk about you know, your, your relationship with your, your closest person, whoever that might be. And I just, I just hope that, that Shelby and Ivy remembered that challenge. I hope that you and I will remember that challenge. That people 
that dwell long and well. Well being effectively. They learn to dwell long and well with God on a regular basis. They will ultimately learn how to dwell long and well with each other. On my healthy, growing relationship with God is going to impact your relationship with your mate or your, your, your person, your, your, the people that are the closest with you in relationship and life. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a, a, a very profound and strong impact upon the people that you dwell with. Um, what is also important to remember, though, is that by God's design, people who have a strong, not only will a strong and growing relationship with God impact your relationship with people, but a strong and growing relationship with people will have a profound impact upon your relationship with God. I believe that with all of my heart. I have learned, well, other than reading the Bible every day, Without a doubt, my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my daughter have revealed to me insight and growth and depth in my relationship with God like nothing else. A healthy, growing relationship with people will help me grow in my relationship with God. You read, I was just thinking about, and I was reading Genesis chapter 2 this week, and Matthew chapter 18, and Ephesians 5, trying to work on this, this whatever I was trying to put together as far as relationships go. I, to be honest with you, I didn't really know how this was going to fall, fall out until yesterday morning. Uh, Shirley said, how's your sermon coming? I said, well, we're, we're, I'm working on it. I've been working on it every day this week, but it just, I, I just... But anyway, this is where we landed. Uh, and I was just reading those chapters. And how if you read Genesis 2, Matthew 18. Genesis 2 being Moses wrote that. Matthew 18, Jesus wrote that. And then Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 5. In all three of those chapters, I find it very significant that by intent, those three men created parallels between a relationship with a mate and a relationship with God. Um, my relationship, if it's done well, my relationship with God will have a profound impact upon my relationship with my mate. And my relationship, if it's done well with my mate, will uh, have the same kind, a similar impact upon my relationship with God. It helps me see and practice and embrace and grasp things that I wouldn't see otherwise. Both relationships, my relationship with my mate and my relationship with God, they reveal vital truths that help me experience superior relationships. I mean, you might think, well, Larry, are you sure? Let me read one of those passages to you out of Ephesians 5 and see if you see what I'm saying. In Ephesians 5, and I'm summarizing, okay? But Paul says, hey, Brother Don, says, A wife should show respect 
to her husband as she does to the Lord. See the correlation? And a husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church. Again, the correlation. As the scriptures say, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two should be united into one. This is a great mystery, but Paul says it illustrates how Christ and the church are one. I say again, a husband must love his wife as he, as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Now, I don't think it's too difficult to see how Paul, and I said, Jesus did it in Matthew 18, Moses did it in Genesis chapter 2. Paul is trying here to help us see that one of those relationships helps reveal the other. And one, when is growing and healthy and strong and flourishing, will impact the other. And then this week, I just, my mind went to a, I believe, probably the greatest example of what I'm talking about. Uh, a relationship between a man and a woman and how that reveals to us our relationship with God. Um, I believe the greatest example of that in the Old Testament is the little story of Hosea and Gomer. And several of y'all, many of you probably have heard me talk about that story uh, because I try, not every year, but probably every couple of years, to uh, just remind us all of the story of Hosea and Gomer. I think it's such a significant story. Um, if you've ever read, it's, Hosea's one of the minor prophets, not minor in its importance, but minor in the length of the story. And Hosea was a, a prophet of God uh, in Israel, and um, he was a holy man. He loved God. He followed God. He promised God, I will, if you will show me what to do, God, I will do it. I will serve you. I'll proclaim your word. I'll follow you. I'll obey you. Now, buddy, there's not a more important or life-giving decision that you and I will ever make than looking seriously into the face of God and saying, God, I belong to you. I've committed my life to you because you've committed your life to me, and I will follow you and do what you tell me to do. Nothing will give you greater Peace and power and blessing than that. But I also want to tell you, it'll scare you at times flat dab to death. And Hosea, if he was here today, would give a hearty amen. Um, I told you that Hosea was a prophet of God. Well, the other person in the story is named Gomer. I know that's an unusual for our society name for a lady, but that was her name. And uh, she was, and um, I'm, con and everything that went along with that. And um, I'm convinced that if eHarmony or uh, Match.com were around back then, they would not have gotten good compatibility uh, 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 scores. Or I've never been on those things, but whatever it is, however they, they link you up, I don't think they would have been linked. I'll just say that. Uh, they would not have, they wouldn't have been proud of them. But anyway, um, and yet, when you finish the story of Hosea and Gomer, 
you leave being convinced that while it was an incredibly unusual, uh, mismatched uh, uh, relationship, it was a relationship that was ordained by God. It was a relationship that was created by God. It was a relationship where clearly God was right in the middle of it from day one. And it was a relationship that God was absolutely committed to its success. You can't read the story and miss that. So while it was an unusual relationship between a holy man of God and a prostitute, it was a relationship that God ordained. And um, it's about the story of a man, a prophet, who for years, I'm sure, had dreamed of uh, having a family, a wife and, a, and children, a home. And I'm sure he had asked God for years, God, please give me a, a mate. Please give me a family. I, I, I want that. I long for that. Be careful what you ask for. Um, he had dreamed of that for years. And it's about a lady named Gomer who probably had stopped dreaming for years. Um, God, one day, probably in Hosea's quiet time, uh, revealed himself, as a, however he did, and uh, said, Hosea, I've got an assignment for you. Uh, yes, sir. I want you uh, to go down to the red light district of your community and opposite of uh, down there on one of the corners, dressed, uh, whatever the opposite of uh, modest is. And uh, I want, her name is Gomer, and I want you to find her. And I want, I've chosen you, now hear, hear this. I've chosen you, Hosea, to be my means of revealing my love for her my commitment to her, my forgiveness to her, and my blessings that I want to pour out upon her. I've chosen you to be my tool, my conduit, my source of all that I want her to know about me. You're going to be the means through which that is accomplished. I hope your mind is racing right now. Mine sure is. I'm sure Hosea, I don't know that he asked for a fleece. I probably would have. Uh, but I'm sure with great shock and confusion, he said, okay. And so he goes down to the red light district. Finds this woman named Gomer. He uh, goes to her um, manager, if you will, and uh, pays off her indebtedness, buys her freedom, if you will. Uh, and he winds up giving this lady his name. He gives her a home. He gives her children. And he fills her life 
with abundant blessings. And what's amazing about the story is if you keep reading the story, somewhere along the line, he falls madly in love with her. That's the part that's, that's a, it's not an assignment. I'm not saying he didn't start out being an assignment. But at some point along the line, Hosea loves this woman. He, he looks forward at the end of the day of going around doing whatever prophets did, uh, rebuking bad people and denouncing the devil. And come home, he looked forward to seeing her. And this went on for, we don't know how long, but for a long time. Everything's going great. I'm sure he would walk home in the, at the end of the day and be, God, thank you, thank you. I, I was a little nervous on how this thing was going to start out, but golly, Bill, God, only you could work this out this way. Thank you. And then one day, um, Hosea comes home, as he always did. And when he walked in the front door, he didn't smell supper cooking as he always had. He glanced over at the master bedroom. The bed's not made. Things are sort of in disarray. And he hears his two children back in the back crying. Gomer! Doesn't hear anything. Honey, where are you? No response. So he, I'm sure, uh, goes around to his neighbors, goes to family and friends, uh, looking everywhere. She's nowhere to be found. He searches and searches, but to no avail. And uh, eventually, I guess, gives up. But after a few days, uh, trying to get his life back in some kind of order, uh, he hears a rumor that Gomer is back down at, in the red light district um, and has taken back up her old life. And um, so he goes down uh, to just see what's going on and finds her there on the same corner. Same old clothes, doing the same kind of stuff. And um, um, like you or anyone else, me or anybody else would, would respond, I'm sure filled with pain, indescribable pain, and immeasurable rage. I'm sure he whirls around and starts marching off. That's what I would do. But before he can take very many steps, God speaks to him. Gomer, uh, uh, Hosea, where are you going? Where am I going? I'm out. To Hades with her, I'm gone. I'm going back home. I'm through. I'm done. This is over. Well, Guess what I want you to do? And I'm sure being a prophet of God, he already knew where this was going. God, please don't ask me. 
please don't ask me to do this. I want you to go back. I want you to pay off her enslavement debt. And I want you to forgive her. And I want you to take her home. And I want you to start over again. God, you you got to be kidding me. Nobody would do that. No one would ask somebody else to do that. No one would expect somebody else to do that. I know. But you remember you told me that you loved me and that you were committed to following me and obeying me, whatever I asked. So I want you to go back. Buy her out of this old life and take her back home and start over again. And I'm sure I'm adding to the story here using my sanctified imagination. But I don't think it's too, too far-fetched. If I put myself in Hosea's shoes or sandals, um, I could just imagine Hosea saying, God, but you don't understand. You don't understand how it feels to choose somebody, to love them, to make a covenant with them. To be committed to them. To pour your life into them. To build a life of trust and respect and honor uh, with somebody. To, to give them an, uh, an incredible life. Especially after the life that she was rescued from. You don't understand how it feels to be treated like that. And I'm sure God spoke to Hosea and said, Oh, my dear son, I do understand because people treat me like that every day. Every day. And that includes you, my precious son. And that's what he did. Um... I find it very significant that Hosea's name means God saves and not God waits. My point being is that God did not Expect Hosea to wait on Gomer. In this story, God asked Hosea to be the one that is proactive, the one to take initiative. He told him, you go create the relationship with this lady. And when it's damaged, you are the one to go and repair it. God told Hosea. Do not wait. On Gomer. You be the one. You be the initiator. And I just want to. I just want you to leave here today. And hear me well. Y'all hear me well. Y'all hear me well. Y'all hear me well. People. That experience. Incredibly 
fulfilling, incredibly long-lasting, and an incredibly successful relationships. Understand this principle. And that principle is that when there are issues in a relationship, God wants me and God wants you to not wait on the other one to make things better and right. If we're going to experience relational success and we're going to finish this deal old together, I mean really old together, then we have got to make, we've got to understand and we've got to be committed to and we've got to practice this principle that when things aren't right, we all, we're just selfish enough. We're just prideful enough. We're just mean-spirited enough. We're just petty enough that we want the other. I'll respond. I'll, I'll, I'll come around. But I need you to make the first move. And if you do, then I, then I will be the bigger person and I'll respond. But I need you to respond first. And I just want you all to know that you don't have to have a brain much bigger than an English pea. The clear declaration that God by His nature does not wait on us when there are relational problems. God's nature won't allow Him to wait. God by His nature, <clears throat> by God's DNA, demands, it compels Him to be the one that goes first to us. He doesn't wait on us to be contrite, to be sorry, to be repentant, to come to Him. for That is not who God is. That is not the way God relates to you. It's not the way God relates to me. God is the one, when He notices a problem, He goes to us. As with Gomer, you see this exact same dynamic with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve... Uh, betray God's trust and disobey Him in the garden? My question is, in that story, who is hiding and waiting and who is searching and calling out? And if you and I claim to be Knowers of God, lovers of God, followers of God. Who are we going to emulate? Who are we going, whose example are we going to follow? God always, Abraham wasn't looking for God. God came searching for Abraham. Moses wasn't looking for God. God came searching for him. Israel, the nation of Israel was not looking for God. God came looking for them. And you take the example of Israel. 
their entire history from the time that Isaac came out of Sarah's womb to this very day. God is still pursuing Israel. God's not waiting on Israel, wringing his hands. Oh my goodness, I got all these plans that I've created and prophecies set up and it all's contingent on Israel doing A, B, and C. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We got to wait on them. No, 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 God's not waiting on them. God is pursuing and wooing in the same way he does it with you and with me. 1 John chapter 4 says, this is love. Not us loving God, but God loving us and sending His Son to save us. Later in the same chapter, John says, We are able to love because God loved us first. Paul says in Romans 5, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And Jesus and John said, or Jesus said in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son for your sin and for my sin long before we ever responded. Those verses and the example of God's plans for Hosea just spoke afresh to me this week. That I am never more like God than when I have relational difficulty with my wife or my daughter or with a dear friend or with anyone else that I feel like God has called to be a part of my life, a vital part of my life. I am never more like God and I don't believe that you are ever more like God. And when we notice relational problems, rather than waiting, we take the initiative and go to them first. We, we reach out first. We respond first. God is calling us to not be people that wait on others, but rather we are to wait on God. But we're not supposed to be waiting on each other. We need to go to one another, especially in our relationship with those that we are closest to. I'm never more like God when I let His love and grace drive me to go first and deal with whatever. I'm not saying you have to uh, say it's all my fault or anything like that. That's not my. I'm just saying rather than waiting on the other one. I go to them first. And I'm never less like God. And you're never less like God. As when you and I let fear and pride keep us from going. But instead we sit around and wait on the other one. People who experience the greatest relationships possible. Are people who have understood the importance of. That the relationship is so valuable that I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go to them. Listen to what David says in Psalm 34. Listen to me, my precious ones, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want a life that's long and prosperous? Then be careful with your words. Don't speak evil words or lies, but instead... 
You turn from evil. You do good. You search for peace. And you work to maintain it. It's all singular. It's not y'all. It's not a group thing. You, if you want a long and prosperous life, you take the initiative and you work for those relational skills and qualities. And folks, please understand, I'm not just talking about uh, uh, the biggest dramatic things that we could face in a relationship. I'm talking about every area of our lives. To develop a habit and a pattern of when there's a problem, whether it's intimacy, whether it's communication, whether it's finance, whether it is a breach of trust or a wound, but in every area of my life and my relationship, to be the one that goes first and, tr- and confronts it and talks about it and tries to deal with it. I was, um, I, I'm, I don't want to tell you a lie, so I can't remember if I was listening or reading this, okay? But I was, I was being uh, uh, educated by an article. And uh, I can remember in the article, um, these were some, some guys, that, you know, they're smart people. And they were saying that they did this huge study, several thousand couples a couple of years ago. And at the end of the, 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 the study, the research, they walked away with this conclusion. Their research indicated that Relationally successful people consistently possess two qualities. This had nothing to do with Christianity. This was not a religious thing at all. This was just secular relational research. Our research indicates that relationally successful people consistently possess two qualities. Number one, resilience. People that experience true relational success are people that are not fragile, not petty, not thin-skinned. They are people that are tough and that are able to focus on long-term goals versus the immediate problem. Oh my gosh. think that is so powerful we live in a world where everyone is so fragile so because we so thin-skinned we're afraid to have a conversation in public because we might say something that sends somebody into orbit or over the edge we're so fragile and you might think well yeah our society is and you're right i'm suggesting that we reflect our society Resilience. The other quality is this. People that experience, that experience true relational success are people that are, con- that are consistent. They are people that consistently possess the ability to own their relational problems. They don't pass the buck. They take responsibility and ownership. 
for problems. And they focus on the solution rather than the blame. That just validates what I'm saying today. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking Hosea, that's one tough dude. I'd have bailed out of that thing like a paratrooper on a burning plane. I mean, no, I'm, I'm not that tough. I'm not that strong. Who can, who can live up to that? Somebody that is resilient. That's tough. That's mighty. That's courageous. Sort of the qualities that God says that he'll give to me if I ask him for them. And a person who is more committed to solving the relational problems than to blaming and winning. That's Hosea. That's Hosea. I'm more committed to the long-term success of our relationship and family than I am beating you over the head with your mistakes. And making sure you know how badly you wounded me and betrayed me. What can we do to fix this? Not what can I do to make sure you feel bad about this. I read um, this morning in my devotions the story of the man asking Jesus, he had a withered hand. And the man um, came to Jesus and said, would you heal my withered hand? And um, it said this, Jesus told the man, reach out your hand. And when the man reached out, his hand was restored. I read that this morning, I was like, dead gummit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know why my marriage, when it's not restored, you know the reason? I don't reach out. I'll wait on you. I'll wait on you. You're going to do this waiting game, and we're just going to see who can outlast the other one. Because you're mostly to blame anyway about this. Okay. And my hand's never restored. My hand's never restored. Versus being the one that reaches out. When the man reached out, his hand was restored. I'm going to end with this. I've lived on this earth for 60 years. Um, and I've been married 38 over half my life I realize that women can be as contrary and hard headed and obstinate as anybody but in my brief but in my brief 60-year journey on this planet, 
more often than not, I'm the one that wants to do the waiting, the pretending, the hiding. I'm not saying Shirley can't do it. I'm not saying that the wives in here or the mamas in here can't do it. Or the daughters in here for that matter. But truth is, if somebody's going to be guilty more often than not, it's me. Women just come out of the womb. It's not fair, it's wrong, but it, God didn't check with me first. Women come out of the womb normally, more relationally wise. If Vikings or marauders or zombies crash into here, men, we're, 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 I'm your man. Uh, you know, you're, we'll, we're, we can take care of Vikings and you know, all kind of you know, hunting down the buffalo and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to relationships, women just are... They, they have a discernment, an ability to value more highly that which God values more highly. And they often, in my experience, tend to be the ones that will go first and say, hey, things aren't right. I'm just, Kurt, me and you, Larry, me and you. If I claim, you know, now pull that. I'm the head of the house and the king of the castle and God made me the leader of this thing and you need to submit and all that, all that stuff. If I really believe that, that God has made me some kind of a spiritual leader in my home, that that's part of his plan, I am never more like God. Then when I take the initiative, I'm the proactive one. I'm the one that goes first and says, hey, things aren't right. Um, we need to, what, 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 what do we need to do? Amen? <laughs> All right. Um, Dale? You and Donald, come help me, please. You've been on sick leave long enough. You've got to work now, brother. You... <laughs> the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Thought of this verse this morning, or I, I, I guess yesterday, out of Acts 16. Where Paul says, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. And call upon the name of the Lord. What are you waiting on? What needs to happen before you and I respond to what we know the Lord's telling us to do? Earthquake, flames or, or something out of heaven, uh, stock market crash. What, what, what needs to happen? Tidal wave, locusts, 
What needs to happen before I stop waiting and I respond as God's telling me to? Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, what are you waiting on? What am I waiting on? We, each Sunday, take bread and we take wine and we eat and we drink to remember what the Lord Jesus did for us. When He took the initiative, there weren't lines of people standing on the hilltops going, Come, God, we need you. We're looking for you. We want your help. No. Jesus took the initiative. Jesus came first. He was the one that was proactive. And he came down and revealed God's love to us and died on the cross, gave his body, shed his blood so that we could have relationship with him. If you believe that, I didn't ask you if you was a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic or Episcopalian or whatever you are. I didn't ask you any of those things. If you believe what I just said about the Lord Jesus, if he is your Savior, you come, if you'd like to, and take bread, wine, and eat, and drink, and remember, and give thanks. There will be people on both sides of me over by the windows who... I uh, would love to pray with you if you have a specific need um, in your life that you'd like prayer for. Please go and let them pray for you. You come.